Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hello and welcome to the Autosport Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Kalanorkas. This is a few days before the 2020 Formula One field are back in action once again at the Red Bull Ring for the first ever Styrian Grand Prix, but there's been more big news on the 2020 driver market. Yes, he's back, Fernando Alonso. The double world champion is back where it all began for him in F1, re-signing for Renault for next season in what will be his third stint with the team. So to examine just what this deal means for F1 and Alonso, Stuart Codling, Luke Smith and Jonathan Noble logged on to discuss the news. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Autosport Podcast. I'm Stuart Codling and would you believe it, Fernando Alonso is back in Formula One and joining me to ruminate about the implications of this, ruminate, could be ruinous uh, ruminations uh, given the financial state of all the F1 teams nowadays, is our Formula One editor Johnny Noble. Welcome Johnny. Good afternoon. Our F1 reporter Luke Smith joining us from home. How are you doing Luke with your lockdown haircut now banished? Yes, I'm very, very happy that I finally had my first haircut. I can confirm that the the first post-lockdown haircut is just as good as I thought it would be. The the subject at hand, which is the return of Fernando Alonso to Formula One uh, with a two-year deal at Renault, a a team he's driven for on two previous uh, occasions, uh, one slightly more successfully uh, than the other. I I suppose the first question is, how expected was this? Has Cyril Abitable pulled out uh, something from his hat, Johnny, or, or has this been pretty much expected ever since Daniel Ricciardo announced that he was off to McLaren? I think pretty much expected. I think it's the second a vacancy appeared there. You know, Fernando was top of the list, you know, being close to Renault. It was the scene of his most successful period. He's always 
you know, liked Team Enstone, and Team Enstone's always liked him throughout all its numerous phases. I spoke to Cyril today. I said, you know, who who made the first move? Who picked up the, the phone first? He said, actually, it wasn't like that because uh, even ever since he left Renault last time, the, the bridges weren't burned, basically. They've kept in contact ever since. He said when they came back in 2016, Fernando was, you know, scouting around, sniffing around, and they were discussing things back then. So it's been an ongoing dialogue so it's basically just a, a continuation of a conversation that's been running for years. I mean, it both is a surprise and isn't a surprise, really. I think for a lot of F1 fans, they you know feel this is going back to the back to the past, back to an ex-girlfriend type scenario, so to speak. But you know, there's also some intrigue about whether you know are we going back to how Fernando was before, or is it as Cyril mentioned to me earlier, is, is this a new Fernando, a Fernando who's wiser, a bit more you know understanding of where he's at, and you know especially is he motivated for the the kind of the fight and the amount of work that's needed ahead. Obviously, there there are drivers in the past in Formula One who've been fast, but shall we say a little bit difficult, certainly hard for teams to manage. But Fernando Alonso in, in particular has had a history of falling out with his employers. And although Johnny points out that um, Cyril says that they didn't burn any bridges when, when he left Renault the last time, pretty much every other team he's left has involved a certain amount of, of immolation. And, and Luke, how, how surprised are you to see uh, Fernando coming back? I think, as Johnny said, it's sort of a surprise and not a surprise. I think Renault is really one of the, the few, if the only thing, that Fernando could have returned to Formula One with, because I think there have been incidents and issues in the past that just led to the, the bridges being burned in such a, a, a dramatic way um, that it just it just wasn't possible to, to ever get back. I mean, obviously, we thought that much with McLaren in 2007 through all the, um, the Spygate drama um, and the fallings out with Lewis Hamilton. But then, obviously, he was able to return in 2015 with Honda. And it was it was a very different team, I think, by that point. But I think like with Ferrari, for example, I think the way that sort of fell apart towards the end of 2014, I think that was that when it was never really a no uh, a place they could go again and for a front-running team i think especially a team like mercedes where they've had such success on a very stable lineup in in recent years with lewis hamilton and valtteri bottas there's not really a need for fernando alonso there's not really a need for all of the i guess the drama and, and baggage that may come with him and um i think when he walked away from f1 uh in 2018 um with mclaren like he he said he wanted to sort of explore opportunities outside of the sport and I think maybe we were kind of thinking well would that sort of mellow him and change him a little bit but even with Toyota I mean when that came to an end um, last year we obviously won the Mon for a second time won the World Endurance Championship alongside Sebastian Buemi and Kazuki Nakajima but even then that didn't end in a in a very civil way I mean it was it was a position where a lot many within the team were were they were glad to be moving on and, and changing things there. Sports careers are a bit like political careers really almost always End in failure. It's very, very oh, great. rare. Not for Powell a, quote. Yes. Very, very rare for a, a sportsman. You know, very rare for an F1 driver to, you know, achieve achieve the peak and then finish it at the peak without there being a, a decline. Um, I think Nico Rosberg, you know, perfectly timed when he retired from winning that world championship. He just knew that wasn't this wasn't sustainable over the the long term. I'll, I'll quit at the top uh, and quit for his own reasons, but. You look at any of the greats. I mean, let's just look at what's you know Sebastian Vettel's going through a Ferrari at the moment. You know all that all that success he's had at Red Bull. You know, his time at Red Bull didn't end very well, and he's had you know the joys at Ferrari, but it's, it's ended in a bad way. So I think that's partly you know why Fernando's looking back at Fernando's career is it's clouded slightly. Each step of the way, 
you know, these careers don't end on highs. And it's 14 years since he last won a world championship. So I suppose that the question we have to ask, Johnny, is the fire still burning? Is, 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 is he doing this because he doesn't know what else to do with his life uh, if, he, if he's not involved in top-level motor racing? Or does, does he really think that he can win a world championship within the next couple of seasons? I suppose we, we all know from his recent performances with McLaren that he's more than capable of outperforming uh, a bad car. But um, even the genius of Alonso allied to uh, a Renault, our adventure is probably not going to topple Lewis Hamilton in a Mercedes. I put, I put that question to Cyril earlier, actually. I said, what, what were the factors? You, you know, you had the option of Valtteri Bottas, who's got... Uh, you know, race-winning form at the moment and understands Mercedes, so it would bring you, you know, huge benefit there. Sebastian Vettel with, you know, his history of title success and the image. You could have gone with Hulkenberg, who you, you know, knew where he was at, or you could have brought a youngster. You know, lots of factors. What what was it that made a, a man who's not been in F1 for two years uh, and at his age win over them? And his answer was simply motivation. He just senses burning inside Fernando now about you know seeing this as his last chance for success he's coming back because he wants to come back and wants to make a success of it he's coming back even though he knows where Renault's at he's not under the illusion that he gets into a race winning car from Melbourne next year so it's, I think it's motivation and it will be like that you know until the car start racing and then we'll see where things are at after six months <laughs> <laughs> I suppose and and Luke you know you've, you've been on the front line for a few years now you've observed the goings-on when things aren't going right uh, with Fernando at, at, at McLaren. What's your take on the likelihood of him not firing his mouth off and, and irritating the hell out of his employers should the car not be competitive? I wouldn't bet on that not happening. I think it's, yeah, Fernando's someone, he he wears his heart on his sleeve and that's uh, that, that's what we want from our sportsmen. Like We want characters, we want people who are, are very honest and, I mean, that gives us plenty to to write about and it makes it does make the paddock more interesting place but obviously the I guess when things aren't going well that also means things can get really really bad and I mean that's ultimately come back to bite Fernando um his obviously acrimonious falling out with Honda and the, the GP2 engine rant that ultimately um had an impact on his Indy 500 um work for, for for last year it was it was that Andretti couldn't go near him because they have Honda as their partner and that 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 killed that deal basically Fernando will he have learned from that I mean, if Cyril's talking about someone more sort of mellow, perhaps a, a, bit, a bit older, a bit wiser, Fernando, then perhaps there's a, there's a chance of that. But ultimately, yeah, it's a two-year deal. He said today that he knows that 2021 is going to be a um, it's going to be a preparation year, basically. And he had always had his eye on these new regulations originally planned for 2021, now delayed to 2022. But he didn't want to delay his own comeback to that point as well. He'd rather have 21 in a car, be racing, be preparing. Ultimately, I think he, he'll know where it is. Like, ultimately, we're not going to get to the first race of next season and expect him to be fighting at the front or winning because Renault, because of the carryover the cars, Renault will probably be exactly where they are um, towards the end of this season. So that's that, that's the midfield. I mean, they had a they were decent in the midfield, sort of up against the likes of McLaren, Racing Point, even Ferrari. Um, the weekend just gone in Austria, but that that is where Fernando Alonso will be. And even as much as he is able to drag a car kicking and screaming up the grid and outperform what it should be doing that's not going to push him to, to race wins or a championship next year anyway. But 
then I think when 2022 comes along and I, I sort of got a similar vibe from Cyril as to what was said when Ricardo was announced that, oh, it's all going towards, as it, as it was then, oh, it's all going towards sort of like 20, 2019, 2020 to really make a step forward and then 21 be the year that we really, really hit the top level. And I think they've not, they've not let go of that, even though last year was pretty, pretty poor by their standards. They slipped in the Constructors' Championship, didn't get anywhere near the top teams. Um, and yeah, I think 22, that's going to be when Fernando, it'll be probably his, his, his last chance, really. That'll be the deciders to, can he go out of F1 on a high and perhaps maybe nab a race win or get some podiums at least? Or is the final hurrah going to have him still stuck in the midfield frustrated and unable to add to his legacy. Cyril does slightly have a habit of over-promising and under-delivering, doesn't he? Or, or certainly expecting people to remap their expectations. Are, are we looking at a situation here where he's kind of done what he did a couple of years ago, which is to place a big bet on a on a high-tariff driver uh, signing in the hope that that sort of just keeps things ticking along for a bit while the the technical package comes together i think he he well he conceded um today that perhaps he was a bit too ambitious and Renault were too ambitious with their their expectations for last year and that that's quite so that that's good sort of recognition and, and being aware of that it's definitely i think it's definitely a big power move from Renault in terms of proving it still has the ability to attract a star signing and a star driver such as Fernando Alonso, who no, no matter what anyone says, he is one of the best racing drivers in the world. That, that That's it. And I think that, that says a lot about Renault. I mean, they can sort of, that is a good show of faith in the project and what they're building. And Fernando said that he's he sort of, he thinks that Renault and the project they've got there will give him the chance to return to the highest level. So that definitely speaks good to what Renault are doing. But again, it's about actually delivering on that. And it was all the similar sort of noise that, Daniel Ricciardo was making and then the first opportunity he had to, to get out and join McLaren he took that immediately so I think there's there's definitely it's a sort of a time will tell situation really but I think it's a, it's a good it's a good sort of uh it's definitely saved face I think for Renault I think getting Fernando on board is a, a really really good way to do that I think that it, it shows that they still have sort of that 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 star appeal but It'll it'll ultimately it'll be twenty two when we finally sort of get the get the answer to that. What really surprised me about this recruitment was that just a month or so ago, uh, Cyril was talking about how the the, the budget cap was going to be the the, the saviour of teams like his because it enables him to justify remain to, to the Renault board staying in uh, Formula One. Now, even though you know s- certain things aren't counted into the the budget cap, you know if, if you're spending a large amount of money on an expensive driver by you know you, you are naturally spending a lot more money than you could if you'd chosen a driver who who, who cost less so the, the the question we probably have to ask is um is is he betting too much on on fernando uh, as I, I received a slightly scathing assessment of the whole scenario by whatsapp from a, a, a former colleague last night who said that um there are a lot of people out there some idiots on social media he said and and a lot of idiots in the press room uh he also said who are ridiculous alonso fanboys and all that will happen that uh, there's a he said there's a huge delta because of course F1 people use the word delta. The delta between the idiots in the press room and the idiots on social media who are Alonso fanboys and, though, and, and the 
esteem with which he's held by people who've worked with him is massive. And all that will happen is that he'll elevate them one or two places higher in the Constructors' Championship than they might otherwise have done. They'll give him loads of free advertising for Kamoa, and um, and Renault will eventually pull out. Now, I, I thought this was a slightly downbeat and apocalyptic assessment, perhaps taken after a glass or two too many of wine. Uh, <laughs> what do you guys make of it? I think think Renault need, needed to have, as part of its journey, as it's looking towards 22 and beyond, as fighting for wins, uh, it's, got to have a, it's got to have the belief that it, it has a future where it's fighting for podiums, for wins, and ultimately the, the championship. There's no point Renault investing all this money if, you know, to finish fifth or sixth in the Constructors' Championship as an ambition. You know, whether it delivers on the, the wins or the championship, we can't tell right now, but as an ambition, as where it needs to target, it needs to be up there. And the only way you can get the personnel involved, get the motivation involved, get the commitment, get the investment from Renault, is to have a beacon inside the team that knows it can believe in. And what Fernando brings is this beacon, basically. Uh, you know, it's what Mercedes had when they got Lewis Hamilton on board. It's what Ferrari now have with Charles Leclerc. Uh, it's having this central point of focus that everyone, you know, gets out of bed five minutes earlier in the morning. They go to bed 10 minutes later in the evening. Uh, they will work harder. They will push harder. There'll be a belief and a conviction that, you know, fine, Fernando may not deliver you, uh, you know, one tenth or two tenths every single lap quicker than another racing driver. But what he will give you is that extra commitment that delivers lap time ultimately for everybody. And I think that's where the, the unseen benefits of having someone like Fernando comes from. It is a big motivation. I think even though with all the, the, the baggage and the history in the past, I think that the fact that Fernando himself said that there are still people working at Renault who he worked with back in 05 and 06 when he won those titles. So that's definitely, that's immediately like a really good sort of spark and I guess a, a connection between them. And I think there is that, there is definitely sort of a, a big buzz around Fernando and he kind of leads the question and particularly when he quit at the end of 2018, sort of it was a, a, a lot of sort of obituaries right about his career. Like, oh, what, what was it sort of unfulfilled? What more should there be in all this or that? And it's, it's amazing that a driver can sort of create that much hype. And even though like he's been away from F1 for, for two years, he's, he's never really been away. Like there have always been these stories about, oh, well, could he come back? Could this happen? Could that happen? And uh, even, even what a couple of months ago, he was like, oh yeah, I know what I'm doing in 2021. I'm pretty sure about it. And we were all like, well, what does that mean? Like Le Mans or Indy or what? And then everything moved after that. So it's amazing how he is able to always stay relevant somehow. Like he's always within sort of these discussions. But I think a lot of that just lends to just just honestly how how good he is. Like he is undoubtedly one of the best natural naturally gifted drivers we've seen in F1 history. He hasn't been in the right car at the right time. And there is the saying of that the, the really great drivers, they get in a good car and they stay there. Fernando, yeah, he's made some perhaps some wrong turns and had some burned some bridges through the years. But I think the hope will be for Renault is that he can sort of charge all of this, his excellent quality, and I think just just be be how good he is without all of the external um, uh, distractions and, and issues that uh, I think some may fear could come with him as well. And I think there's also a, also the factor that you know the team doesn't want an excuse for not delivering. I think Cyril's always been of this mindset that. You know, the easy option would be to take a take a young driver or take a has-been driver, put him in the car, save the money, and then think the car development will move you forward. But at some point, got to put your neck on the line. They did it with Daniel, and it's caused some external pressures and stress and hassle. And, you know, Cyril admits his grey hairs have multiplied a lot over the past year and a bit. 
because of the extra pressure that's come from Daniel, and it will ramp up again even more with Fernando. Uh, you know, it may, may be too much, maybe the expectations will be too much and it will end in, you know, disappointment two years down the road and questions asked and, you know, Cyril has to go and find another job, but which he admitted today. Um, you know, this could be could be the a decision that has, you know, wider ramifications. But if you're a Formula One team boss, if you've got ambitions, if you've got a big car company behind you, you have to make these decisions and leave no excuse in the book if you want to succeed. Just to follow up on one of your remarks there, Johnny, you, you mentioned the, the possibility of other options that he declined to take up. Quite a few people have been fairly vocal uh, about about this choice, bringing in a, an established driver when Renault could, in theory, have promoted from within with from its driver academy. Um, I, I'm not sure I'd buy that because my, my view of the the people currently on the stock of the Renault Driver Academies, then maybe not quite ready. And what, what do you guys feel? I think that's, that's part of the problem is, is kind of you're trying to pick something. You're not really sure yet how the, how the youngsters are going to be for next season. I mean, both Lundgaard and Guangzhou are you know, very promising, huge potential. But A, there's a question with this compressed calendar about super license points. So they need a result. And if you know, you're going to wait till the end of the season, could it be December before you can say, oh, yeah, well, actually, we, we can have him or can't have him. So, which is too late in the cycle that the, the runner needs to get on and do it. Um, and maybe it's just a year too early in the cycle for where this, this team needs to be at for 21 and then going into 22, having the, the experience of them. And if they're, if they are fantastic, if they are brilliant, if they do emerge as fantastic talent, they'll be there to pick up the reins when Renault is successful with or without Fernando. Yeah, I'd fully agree with that. I think that, um, yeah, um, obviously Joey had a really good race in Austria. He was leading from pole and looked on course to win win the F2 feature race before his car failed. And I think he's sort of seen, been seen as one of the, the real title contenders and front runners for this season. Uh, Christian Lungard is, I personally would rate a bit higher than Joe, but he's very, very young. I mean, he was an F4 I think three years ago, like he's really, really young, um, but has risen the ranks quickly as again, got lots of potential though. And I think he was fourth um, in, in Austria in his first race without any testing. So really, really impressive, but it's just is, as, as John said, like it's just too soon, I think in the cycle. And I think that to go into, into next year, I think Renault could have, if they knew they had Ocon for the long term then I think they could sort of say, well, okay, maybe he can be the man to help nurture this young driver and sort of lead us sort of into 22 and beyond. Uh, but I mean, Esteban himself, he's he's very, very young. He's also um, still obviously got the links to Mercedes that mean that ultimately they could they can, could pull him back there down the line. Um, so I think this is, uh, this is better. I mean, ultimately, I think unless Joe does win F2 this year and then Renault have got to sort of find him somewhere to put him for next season. Um, people said that it's not, out of the realm of possibility, they still get one of their juniors on the grid for 21. But I mean, it does look highly unlikely. But then they can sort of look to, I guess, post 22, or well, sorry, they could look at 22 and say that okay, well, if if Ocon were to were to go, were to go back to Mercedes at the end of next year, that they would hopefully by then have an F2 junior ready to step up and take his place, um, or. I mean, with Fernando as well, ultimately he is very near the end of his career, and if it is that he does these two years and then quits then they, again, they have one of their junior products ready and waiting to step up. So, yeah, I think it's just a little bit too early to take that risk. And ultimately, you want you want the best drivers in the car. And right now, that that was Fernando Alonso, definitely. The lineup of him and Ocon 
is way stronger than a lineup of Ocon and Joe or Ocon and Lungard. Uh, and as John said as well, it's timing. Like ultimately, it wouldn't be until the end of the year that they would have got the super license points and therefore could have committed to getting the either driver into a seat. And by then, the market would have moved on massively and they could have been uh, left uh, in real trouble. Joe, of course, still the the fastest professional driver to set a lap time in our simulator in the office. I say simulator; it's you know it it's an Xbox with a fancy seat, but um, he was four seconds faster around Suzuka than Harry Newey, so um, uh, and and a considerable amount of time faster than me around Suzuka. So um, yes, uh, pretty impressive talent for the future, but but maybe not now. I, I suppose the, the the final issue we should address. You mentioned Esteban Ocon. There is what are the implications for him of potentially sharing a garage with Fernando Alonso for for the the, the next season perhaps depending on how things pan out I think it's really exciting I think that Ocon he said that um when he when he was growing up that uh Fernando the battles between Alonso and Schumacher that's who he was watching and like he really sort of looked up to Alonso and it's quite I think it says a lot about um the age of some of the drivers now that you kind of be like oh I watched you on TV growing up and that's how I got into F1 and now they're racing alongside each other it's it's really funny um but yeah I think that that's gonna be really interesting because Ocon I mean obviously he's had particularly with um Perez at Racing Point, for example, that they they didn't it didn't really go well towards the end. There was a lot of tension sort of growing there, and I think it's sort of a point of it's going to be really really interesting to see how Ocon he maybe doesn't have the best reputation for getting on with his teammates and being completely civil, and Fernando who the same can be said of. I think that's going to be a really interesting dynamic, and you kind of got the the the, the old older driver who's right at the end of his career versus the young upstart who really is trying to really make a name for himself. I think that's going to be really fascinating to watch. And I think, yeah, early on, it'll probably uh, be all, all, all very civil and, uh, oh, yeah, I looked up to you, I, I watched you race. But then, uh, yeah, when they get side by side on track, it could end up being a little bit different. Yeah. It's it's tricky to measure the vibe at the moment in any garage, isn't it, Johnny? Because you're, you're there, but not really necessarily seeing these people face to face we're often in these these virtual press conferences as well so it's 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 tricky when someone just sits down in front of a camera for you to to to, to measure the vibe uh, it, it's quite bizarre yes yeah, it's, it's what i find really difficult is when when a driver's got a uh, crash helmet on it appears that they realize they've got a crash helmet on so they show more emotion with their hands or in their eyes or something so you can read quite easily when they step out of a car or get in a car what they're feeling but when they've got a mask on I think because everyone feels a bit a little bit uncomfortable and isn't quite used to it everyone's got the same expression so it's really hard to say how people are feeling or what they're looking like or are they saying this seriously or have they got this with a huge grin on their face which inevitably if, if it's involved Daniel Ricciardo then uh, it is with a grin on his face but um <laughs> But it is much, much harder to read and also not having that, you know, seeing people close up in press conferences to look at body language and things like that. These these are the, the little aspects that make a make a difference. It's not just, you know, some people will be, just be happy to have a look at the quotes and think that's the story. But often it's body language behind stories and how these things are said and why they're said and the circumstances of where they're said, which are just as important. As you know, I have been experimenting with certain teams' backgrounds to try and provoke a reaction. So I'll be rolling out a few of those in Austria too this weekend. To I do hear that Kevin Magnussen did. Did, did he ask about like what what your background was? Or? Uh, yeah, he he wanted to know um, 
why I was in a dungeon and I had to explain that it was Brian Blessed's prison planet. Uh, okay, and... I'm sure he's a big fan of that. <laughs> I, I do have René Artois Café from a lower low to roll out for the Renault press conferences uh, next weekend so wasn't there uh, a character called leclerc in Low? there was i was tempted to do it uh, on on ferrari but the the, the system they're using doesn't support comedy backgrounds oh, so boo. yeah boo to that <laughs> so so yeah we, we we will see you know we, we we do what we can to try and provoke a reaction from these drivers and uh, and we will continue to to chip away at, at the coalface as it were as as we um, I found myself just about to say the words "the new normal." There, uh, excuse me while I gargle on some hand sanitizer for even thinking that phrase. Um, but yeah, we we will continue to plug away and give you all the the best access we can and and provide the the best insights we can uh, as, as as Formula One continues through twenty twenty. Um, I think that's about it for this episode of the Autosport Podcast. Thank you, Johnny and Luke, for joining me and sharing your insights. Um, uh, you're looking forward to Austria Austria 2 this weekend it's a little bit weird isn't it it's almost like a Teletubby Grand Prix again again <laughs> I, I am actually when when it was first muted about having you know a repeat race the weekend after I think everyone thought this is going to be so boring it'll be the same cars in the same order on the same tyres no running on Friday uh, same story may as well not even bother which I think is what prompted the reverse grid idea but actually, the more closer we're getting to it, I think it's actually going to be fascinating seeing how the cars have shifted around between last weekend and this weekend, seeing drivers, if they come up with the same excuses that we didn't get the setup right this time out, as opposed to last weekend when they've had two attempts at it. Will the strategies vary? Will we get a proper pecking order now? I think it's going to be a really interesting analysis of the impact of teams running at the same place to give us a definitive answer and how different things will be. Definitely, yeah. And I think the fact that you sort of, I guess every team and driver will leave a a race weekend normally and go, oh, I wish I'd done X, Y and Z differently. Now there is no excuse. They can literally do X, Y and Z differently. So I think that's going to be fascinating. And uh, obviously we saw so many teams hit reliability issues, notably Mercedes with their gearbox um, over that first weekend. And uh, that's not something that can be be quickly fixed. I know Mercedes said they're hopeful of getting some some fixes in place. But that, again, is going to be something I think weighing on the back of everyone's minds as as they go into the second, second running of the race. Mm. Toto's ironclad certainty from Sunday night that they'd have it fixed as it seems to have ebbed away a little bit, doesn't okay. it? So, uh, yeah, in, in the words of one of our colleagues, it'll be fascinating to see. Uh, Johnny, Luke, thank you very much. Uh, thank you all out there for listening. There will be more on autosport.com and motorsport.com over the coming weekend. And do uh, stick uh, closely by our YouTube channel where we will be doing our famous one person on a sofa uh, routine with, with another person on video while our, our studio is only allowed to accommodate two people. So thank you very much. Well, thanks to Collars, Luke and John for their insight and analysis and thanks to you for listening. Now, just before we go, we'd like to remind you once again that Autosport magazine is back after a short break due to the pandemic and is available once again on supermarket shelves and in newsagents. There will be a new issue for you to pick up every Thursday, packed full of news, analysis and the usual stunning photography, with this week's issue on sale from tomorrow with our Austrian Grand Prix analysis. And of course, if you want unlimited access to Autosport from the comfort of your home, visit autosport.com plus to find out how to subscribe to our digital package. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Autosport Podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. 
see soundcloud.com slash trilo music redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. When Shopify says you can sell anywhere, oh, they mean it. Woo, hold up. Just got a new sale, order fulfilled, and shipped. Inventory level's good. Whoa, Shopify doesn't mind if you're at sea level. Or on top of the world. Oh, you can run and grow your business anywhere. Climbing mountains is never easy, but at least Shopify gives me all the tools I need for my business to hit new beats. Whether you're selling carabiners or crop tops, start selling with Shopify today and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. We've built the platform so you can keep climbing and grow your business to new heights. With Shopify, you really can sell to anyone from anywhere. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Internet connection required. Not available on mountaintops or seafloors. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply